listening to That'll Preach, weekly podcast where we discuss theology and culture and we talk about all those questions that keep you awake at night. So many questions, right? Paul, are there any questions that keep you awake at night? I was just thinking, we do a lot more theology than culture. Why do we that's get more it, theology that's, that's the end culture. of our show. We're done. I don't know because we don't have any culture. We don't. We don't go. We don't do things. We, we do. We're. I'm drinking a diet coke. Okay. You're drinking what do you want to talk? Let's, okay. Fine. Let's. We were going to talk about something else, but we can talk about culture. Go ahead. What do you want to talk about with culture? We could talk about um, Asian food. That is just <laughs> okay. What about Asian food? It's delicious. It's great. Like Asian food. Nobody dislikes Asian food. I feel like we're just doing like a hot take informally right now. There you go. That's our hot take. Okay. Nobody dislikes Asian food. Yeah. I mean, that's not that hot of a take. I, mean, I know. That's true. It also that's a, that's is like- a mild temperature take. Asian food also encompasses lots of other foods. It's like, you know, that's Indian, true. Sri Lankan, Thai, Chinese, Japanese. It's all like- Chinese to me. <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> I, I can so yeah, I mean, okay. So I'm Chinese. I grew up eating authentic Chinese food, and uh, it's much healthier. And it's not like the stuff you get from like the Chinese takeout place, right? No, like, definitely there's no, not. You know, there's no general sows, <laughs> Americanized chicken, sesame chicken. It's a lot of fish, a lot of vegetables, a lot of oil. I once ha- went to a rice. Cantonese restaurant and had like grilled chicken on top of like almost like a spaghetti type thing, and really? it was like original, like yeah, authentic Cantonese food. Maybe they were just lying to me. I don't know. Yeah, probably. What's some uh, authentic Egyptian food, Paul? Hummus, falafels, like mixed grill stuff. Like you go get kebabs and like meatball type stuff. Hummus. Hummus. Yeah, yeah right. hummus. Look how woke this podcast is. I know. I was I just mean, thinking. We're, we're so woke. We haven't slept in years. That's how woke we are. We're so woke that our bloodstream is filled with cocaine. Okay. <laughs> We're I was, canceled. I was going to make a, we just got a Levi Wokes uh, SNL. Oh, one of the greatest <laughs> SNL. Oh, I mean, it, this it is, is a church-sponsored thing, so. Yeah, I know. We're not telling you to watch it. We're just saying that this thing exists. It is, SNL, yeah. Levi Wokes. It's it just great. exists. That's all we're saying. That's uh, all we're saying. <laughs> but uh, we don't actually have a topic today. We're just going to sing. False. Okay, go so. Ahead, go ahead. I'd we love do, to We do have a very serious topic. We're going to make a very jarring uh, 180. 180, because we have been in a series on the problem of evil, talking about the problem of evil. Now, yeah. evil has confounded Christians for a very long time, and we're trying to get a handle on it. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. Many people have dealt with it. It's just a difficult topic to think through, and we want to think about it wisely and biblically. And uh, today, we're going to get really specific. Yeah. We're going to talk about Calvinism. Calvinism. <laughs> I knew you were going to do a voice say for it that. Like Calvinism. <laughs> and the problem of evil. Yep. And uh, this, you know, Calvinism, depending on, it's either like a rallying cry or a swear word, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> or but both, we, yeah. And I guess the, the specific tenets of Calvinism would probably be with regard to the problem of evil, mm-hmm. how there can be good God and the existence of evil in the world, uh, is the strong sense of God's sovereignty that Calvinism, right. Right. the stream of Reformation theology, uh, carries what we would call meticulous providence. 
Yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. How do we? How would you define meticulous providence? I, meticulous providence is just the idea that everything happens because that's what God decided would happen. Right. So God writes the story a certain way, and the story can't help but unfold the way God writes the story. Um, and so that sounds like when people hear that, they automatically think like, we don't have free will, we're all robots, like our choices are meaningless. And we'll probably save those questions for another like sure. podcast series because those can get pretty technical. But suffice to say that like, it doesn't like necessitate that, right? Like sophisticated Calvinistic thinkers throughout the ages have talked about how like God can write the story this way and yet our human wills are still intact. And there's a kind of mystery there in how to marry those two, but it's, it's not impossible, right? So we can shelf that worry, but you can see that th there is like a tension that arises. Okay, well, if God writes the story and the story can't help but unfold this way, that means there are villains that God writes into the story. There's evil, there's suffering. And now it seems like not only do you have the problem of evil, like if you're a Calvinist, you've got like the souped up problem of evil. You've right. got like- Problem of evil on steroids. Exactly. Because God, how is God not the author of evil? Yeah. That, that's really the question we're talking about. Right. If God writes every word of the story, mm -hmm. and he writes all the villains, how is he not on the hook for moral evil? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting, like- Paul raises that exact uh, objection in Romans 9 after he talks about God's decreeing of Israel, how God elects some and he loves Esau. He loves Jacob and hates Esau, right? Right. Um, and then he asks two questions, two objections. Um, if this is true, how can God find fault with us? So that's the question of like our the meaningfulness of our choices and our moral responsibility. And also, is not God then responsible for the evil and the sin? Right. And Paul says like, no, like that's just... The fact that you've raised that objection means that you've you've picked up on something there that's interesting and important, but Paul's answer is no. Like scripture tells us that God is not the author of evil, so there is a way to keep these two things in tension without attributing evil to God's will. In other words, Paul gets he, he, he Paul in Romans 9, Paul starts off with a very strong doctrine of God's sovereignty over everything, right. over election, over mm -hmm. who's saved. But he also understands now, if you understand me correctly, these two questions will pop into your head. Right, right. If you have these two questions, you know what I'm talking about. Right. So Paul's not like, well, I had no idea that this would make God mm -hmm. possibly culpable for evil. He goes, no, I know exactly what I'm saying and I know exactly what the objections are. So it, it, Paul gets it, right? Mm -hmm. And we, I think we forget that. It's not like the people in the Old Testament or in, who wrote yeah, the New Testament. It's not like these are novel objections. Yeah, they're not right? just like, evil, yeah. what? What are you talking about, you know? <laughs> Um, so the fact that Paul, one, knows the objections to what he's saying, and mm -hmm. two, answers them in yeah. some form or fashion, means that, and if we believe that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, yeah. there is a compatibility right. between God's meticulous sovereignty, that everything happens the way that God determines it to happen, yep. and our freedom as creatures. Now, mm. it's freedom in a qualified sense, and I don't know if we want to get into that, Yeah, but... Uh, that seems to be at least what the Bible's pointing to. There's a way that these two fit together. Mm, yeah. Um, I think about, I think it's Isaiah 10 where 
God tells Israel, like, I'm going to send the Assyrians in to judge you for your sin. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and then I'm going to judge the Assyrians for attacking you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he says, because they, the Assyrians, the Assyrian king didn't wake up one day going, I want to be an instrument of judgment for the Lord. Yeah. Right? He's a pagan. Yeah, yeah. He wakes up and goes, I want to conquer Israel. Hmm. And yet God sends him. Right. God is the one who's responsible for sending him. Yep. And God has his purpose and the Assyrian king has his purpose mm -hmm. and they're both at work at the same time. Right. And uh, we see that also with uh, Saul's death is described twice, once as Saul took his own life. And in another sense, it says God killed Saul. Right. 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 So, and, and scripture never sees those as mutually exclusive right. or contradictory. So God works in this way. So he writes the story. He is one kind of cause, uh, but a cause that doesn't compete with or override the human or creaturely cause. That's super important too. Yeah. And there's, we kind of have to back up a little bit and go, who, God is not a creature like we are. Right. He's not another player in this world, mm -hmm. right? He transcends it, Yep. right? He's beyond it. That means that God, God's causation, the way that God causes things is not the same as the way that we cause things. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a classic illustration that you've brought up many times. I know yeah. it's a classic philosophical illustration mm -hmm. and you alluded to it before. Talk about the author and story deal. Yeah, so the author character analogy or the author story analogy is one way to understand like how God causes things in the world. So think like, think to your favorite fiction author. Tolkien, we like to go to because we're Christians and we love Lord of the Rings. Brian, you've never read Lord of the Rings, have you? I tried oh. a long time ago in like seventh grade. Couldn't do it. Really, very boring to me. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know how we're friends. <laughs> Nerd. No, it's 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 favorite amazing. It's life changing. Authors. Who wrote the Goosebump books? Goosebumps. <laughs> that was serious. No, no, no. Did you ever read okay. Animorphs? No, but that does sound familiar. No. Well, Animorphs. What was that? Google a TV it, show. Kids. It was a short it was a TV show. Yeah, yeah, it was. But you read the the story version, right? Anyway, back to back evil. to the author. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, J.K. Rowling, Tolkien, Lewis, right? So they all created these worlds with these stories. And the way that Tolkien or Rowling cause things in their story is by decreeing it as such. They, they, they make the character in this way and the character acts in accordance with the nature that they've been given and created. Um, but notice that like, it doesn't, it's just, it's bizarre to say that like um, when, when, when Frodo does something evil or stupid, or when Sauron, the, the villain, does something evil, like therefore, like Tolkien has something evil in him for, for, for doing that, right? right? Like, when, when Sauron like takes over Middle Earth and like wants to kill a bunch of people and bring this reign of darkness, that's not like Tolkien's fault. It, it's just like, it's a category error. It doesn't make sense to think of like the evil that takes place in a story as being like attributed to um, the will of the author in, in that way, it doesn't make them evil, right? right. So th there's a kind of like disconnect there. You almost think like it's just a category error. It's not the right way to think about right. who's you, doing the evil. Who's doing the evil? It's Sauron. It's it's the villain. It's not the author. So when you write a story and you have one character murder somebody, yeah, there's an intuition you have where the character is guilty of murder, yeah, but, but you would not be guilty of murder, right? And we just have this instinct because you and the character are not on the same 
plane of reality, yeah, you could say. Exactly. There's a difference. You're mm-hmm. not a character in the story. There's a, in other words, there's a, uh, and there's a, the, the character also is completely dependent upon you for its existence. Right. Right. So the story. So it's, not, it's not like, it's not like the author is taking a, a noble, pristine, uh, character right. from scratch, like they're they're just beautiful right. and amazingly virtuous by nature, and corrupting them to make them a villain. No, like their their villainness is just intrinsic to their character. Like that's just right. who they are, right? So it's not like the author is overriding the wills of the right. characters. It's just that's a category mistake. It's not the right way to think about what's going on. Right. And when we think about, so a lot of times when people go, "Well, if God is sovereign over everything, we're just puppets." Right. Well, even the, the problem with that is your the, the, the puppet and the puppet master are still in the same like world. Yeah. Right? That uh but God transcends this world like an author transcends the story. The author is not a part of the story. And, and so you have to really get that in your mind. You yeah. don't want to have a view of God in which he's just like us, just bigger. Mm-hmm. Right? Now what would you say though? Because it's kind of like, okay, so you're saying that we're people in a story, like, but the problem is we're real people. Yeah. And God is really writing horrible things like yeah. the holocaust he wrote the holocaust yeah i mean how do we deal with yeah. that yeah yeah no i mean at at some point there's there's that kind of like the mystery that we've been talking about is intrinsic to this problem and this tension that we've gone over in the whole series and i'm not gonna like I, christians have never like claimed to have some exhaustive response there like well, we, we don't know why we don't know like right. i i don't know but we can say that like the the stories that god could have written there's no right way to write a story that, that might be one way of thinking about it. There's no correct way to write the story. Like Tolkien wrote a good story, right? And there were lots of other worlds and stories that he could have written. Um, ones that had the same amount of suffering, ones that had maybe less, ones that had maybe more. But it just, the question doesn't make sense to ask like, is there a correct way to write a story? No, like they're all good. And, and they, they tell us different things about the author's character nature. They bring forth like, uh, redemption arcs in like people like the villain, you know, undergoes this period of transformation. You see like tragedy, like result in, in some, some good. And sometimes it's just like, like you're just left at the end with a tragedy and you just kind of sit there, but there's no like r- right or wrong need, way there. But God is supposed to be a good author. Yeah. So, you know, certain authors you're like, oh, they're probably going to write this kind of story. Yeah. What happens when it seems like you know, a writer, a good author is writing a story that you're just like, I don't think this is a good story at all. It's it's unrecognizable. I think I think we're confusing, and this could be like, I think we we've talked about this before with like how some Christian movies like they're 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 trite, like they have the happy ending, right? right? You know, like you think about God's Not Dead, the Christian professor Fire. like <laughs> shots has, fired, shots fired. <laughs> I know, I'm just gonna go there because it really does make the point well. Like this atheist professor has this like deathbed conversion where he realizes, oh no, Christianity's true, and it kind of like ties up all the things, the loose ends, really neatly and tidy, and you go like. That's not a good story. Like there's something about the fact that it was so neat and everything was so tightly packaged and there's nothing loose. There's no like depth to it. That's not a good story. But the stories that we do find like really intuitively good are ones that do have like heartbreak and suffering and people growing through really, really difficult circumstances. And there's depth and complexity. And you like, one thing that's really appealing about a good story is the characters are complex. You're like, right. I, I couldn't predict that they would have done this. And, and or you that, don't know right? when the story's over yet. Right. Your exactly. story might not be over. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I know that I think, uh, so 
Joel Osteen said this. I know. <laughs> oh man, Ter- Joel Osteen is I terrible. I can't believe we went He's there. He's terrible, right? Don't. <laughs> but there was something that interesting where he was just like, "If you're still breathing, God's not done with you." And I'm like, "Okay, well, you probably mean that in a very superficial American gospel, yeah, American yeah. <laughs> uh, American prosperity gospel, horrible perversion of the gospel kind of thing." But <laughs> the phrase itself, there is a sense in which, sure, yeah, there is, you know. As long as you're still alive, God's still writing the story, mm-hmm. and you never know what He could do. Yeah, and and He is good, and I, I don't think we should be, you know, pessimistic. I think we should be realistic. Mm-hmm. We should be sober minded. But I think that's when you go. Okay, I think. I mean, not. I don't think. I mean, okay. God is good. He's a good author. Yeah. This is difficult. I don't understand it. But I think the beautiful thing is if you're a character in the story, you don't have to understand it. In fact, it's impossible for you to know the mind of the author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're living life as every page is written hmm. or every page is flipped or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so there is a sense in which we're free to just be people who go, I don't know. This sure. is hard. Yeah, yeah. And But also on the flip side, there is that like we do know how the story is going to end in, right. in the ultimate sense. Right. So we do know that like justice will be achieved. Like wrongs will be righted. There's going to be like a rectification of all things. Um, yeah. And I think that that itself is just super encouraging and gives you like a, a, a lens through which to view the world's story in a kind of hopeful, but not like a naively optimistic light. So right. it doesn't make light of actual sufferings and tragedies. Um, but it does like, I think there's a, a really healthy reminder in Christianity that the story of the world is a good one. The story that God's writing is a good one, even though it's got, and not just even though, it's because it has like this, this depth and complexity and brokenness, even though I, I don't think there's a good answer. I don't think we'll ever have a good answer to grasp the mind of God on the Holocaust or all these things. But, right. But, but the story, when you kind of like zoom out and look at it, the whole picture, it is good. It's, it's one of lots of different good stories that God could have written, right? And I think, uh, is Tolkien, did he say, talk about the you catastrophe or something like that, where it's the that idea. It sounds of, Tolkien-esque. Yeah. It, it's kind of the idea of like, uh, I think someone else said all of, I mean, it might've been Chesterton or Spurgeon or something. All <laughs> of uh, God's deliverances are cleverly disguised as uh, catastrophes. Hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting. And, and, and I, you know, I don't think that, that that's sort of just like, you'll see roses at the end of every bad story or something like that. But I, I think there is something where, you know, like you, oh, I remember, I remember watching lost, you know, oh, man. and every week you're like, how are they going to tie this up? And they did a terrible job of doing yeah, they it, did. but uh, maybe that's not a great example, but, but you, you, you imagine in, in Tolkien or Lord of the Rings or I hear their books or whatever, you're just kind of like, how are they going to wrap this up? Things are getting so bad. Yeah. 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 And somehow they wrap up mm-hmm. not without pain, not without tragedy, not without loss, not without bravery, not without courage and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we have is that eschatological, that end times hope that God is going to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want, can we go back real quick, though? Let's go I, back. I still want to talk about, so we talked about the author character thing. Is that mm-hmm. what gets God off the hook? That he can write all the evil acts and not be morally responsible for them? What gets God off the hook is that we are the perpetrators of evil when it happens and well, we couldn't do otherwise than what he wrote. Yeah, but I, so again, this is what we could probably devote like a full podcast series to this, but there's different kinds of free will that, you know, philosophers debate about. And, you know, that kind that you just mentioned there, having the ability to do otherwise, um, 
I don't think we need that to be free. I think to be free is just to be able to act in accordance with what you desire. Mm. And so we do have that kind of free will. Like if I wanted to go and become an atheist, I could do that. Right. I just, I don't want to, right. but I do have that freedom to. So like the, the classical Calvinists have talked about the difference between natural ability and moral ability. So I have the natural ability to go and do lots and lots of good things. If I wanted to, I could do those. Like I, I physically have the power to, right. but I don't have the moral desire to. And it's right? true because if, if you go, well, I'm going to do the opposite of what I want to do. The problem is if you do that, that is what you, you're still <laughs> doing what you want to right, do. Right, you right. can't avoid not doing what you want to do. Right. So it's not like God is creating us without hands and saying, go play the piano. Right. It's not like we have a physical incapability to do good things. We have a moral, we have a, like a, a, uh, an inability of desire. We don't desire the right things. And so that's why we are evil and evil manifests in the world. Right. But we do have the physical capacity to, if we had desired to do good, right. we could. The problem is we just, we just don't. It's sort of like yeah. you have a car that could drive but no engine or no gas in the tank or something yeah. like that. Like there's the, the potential capability, but there's nothing that drives it towards that. You have the functioning car that could get you to Jacksonville, right. except the driver doesn't want to go to Jacksonville. Exactly, yeah, right, that, exactly. That's, that's what's going and on. And so, and that leads to what salvation is, changing your fundamental desires. Yeah. Yep. But I think that's a helpful way of looking at it. Um, but so in terms of culpability though, um, so somebody does an evil act, somebody kills somebody, mm -hmm. They're responsible, even though they couldn't do otherwise, because God did not stop them from doing what they wanted. The guy wanted to kill the person, mm -hmm. uh, and God did not override his will. Or it, it wasn't as though he didn't want to kill the person, and God made him want to kill it. Right, right. It's that he was doing what he wanted. Right. Now, him doing that, though, it could not have been any other way. Yes, right? right. Uh, and God's off the hook, though, because he did not force... But didn't he kind of force him by writing that? It's not. There force is, is not the right word. Yeah, force. Like force. Like, like did, requires did, did a writer force the character to yeah, write. It, there is no such thing as like a neutral character that like the author makes good or makes bad. Like right. that. The the characters. But doesn't are he design written the characters either. though? He does make them good or bad. He does, but the the point that's relevant for like when we talk about the human story is that we do make choices, and those choices are like. We do exert control, even though that control is not like I could have done otherwise, right? I we have, we have Guillaume, who we've interviewed before in the podcast, makes a distinction between a conditional ability to do otherwise versus a categorical ability. And I know this is going to get technical, um, but like we have this ability that if I had desired to do X, I would have been able to do X. The problem is I just didn't desire that, right? But God is in control of whether you desire it or not. Not, not in that kind of like direct sense. So there's still like, there's lots of things that form people's values, That's true. That's like another, environment right. and like the choices that you make also like constrain your ability to do things in the future too. Right. So like the more I like do this thing, the more it habitualizes me into doing this. So my actions, I do exert control to a certain point, but then that control after I exhibit those actions and do those behaviors over and over and over, they do push me down one way of being and behaving. So you're saying, so like, for example, your childhood shapes who you are. Yeah. And so and you're not in control of who your parents are. Right. And that's gonna mold you, but you're still responsible 
for your moral actions, even though you had a terrible dad and that makes you really angry yeah, and, and lash out or something. There, there are some cases where like, like environmental pressures can, can mitigate responsibility or like, sure. you know, someone with a severe mental illness, like right. they don't really know what they're doing. So notice when we, when we like try people in court and they plead insanity, we say they didn't really do the thing. Right. right? It that, wasn't that, them because right. th so, they, they had no, there's no motivation to actually do it yeah, and we, or, or we, in the sense, yeah. We can't attribute the action to that person's will. Like they're, right. they're, they're, it's not them doing it, right? Right. So you can think of like the famous case of Phineas Gage, who was a, a locomotive worker. Um, and he was sweetest, most amazing guy. All of his friends talked about how wonderful and integrous of a person he was. Suffered a horrible accident where like a piece of metal went through his brain while he was working on the tracks. And then he just became the most awful, irritable, angry, like just terrible person. Uh, in that case, like his friends would describe as, that's not Phineas. Like that's right. not who he is because the will and the character that he'd cultivated over the course of his life became something else, right? right. So anything he did in that new state was not really who he was. And so what, what, like you're responsible for things that we can properly attribute to your character. Like you have made yourself sure. this person with exerting the control that you have. And if it's good, we say, yeah, like that's, that's a good person. If it's bad, we say, no, that's a bad person. Right. And you could, could you argue that you can't, that even that there's a sense in which you can't do, th do otherwise because you're so formed in your character that, you know, uh, well, I don't know, but couldn't you be a truly evil person and just decide to do something really good? Uh, I mean, you'd probably have to flesh that out a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly possible. Um, yeah, I, I think what's relevant is you do have an ability to do otherwise if you decide oh, or right. choose to exactly. do it, right? right. So um, the problem is you just often don't choose to do those things that you didn't So it's do. not like you want to, you know, go give money to the poor and God slaps you and, and put, puts right. a gun in your hand and makes right. you fire a gun. Yeah. That, right. I mean, that would arguably be like, like unjust. Like if, if God took someone's character and did that, you could say God might not be able to hold that person responsible because right. there, that action was not really that person. Right. So it has to be connected to their character in the appropriate kind of way. But God is able to change our desires. He is. Yeah. But he does. So he does so through means. Right. So, so when we talk about like people growing in character, it happens through like, through, through the church, through God speaking to people, through environments, making you and building virtue in you. Um, you could all say that like God, God does like through grace just makes you a better person. I think the difference though is God, God's grace can make you a better person instantaneously, but God's grace doesn't take a like a good nature and make it right. Bad. He wouldn't make you evil. Right. He can he can graciously make you better, right. which is what conversion is. Yeah, he graciously changes your heart. Yeah, um, and actually frees it from slavery to sin. Right. And I guess that's the interesting thing too, where um, the Bible does say that we're we're not born in the world neutral. We're right. Born with a with a with original sin. We're born with mm -hmm. a, with a, a love for sin. Yeah. An enslavement to sin. And so, in that sense. What we are always going to want to desire is mm -hmm. sin. Absolutely. Not that we're always want to be evil all the time, but we're going to. We have that predisposition. Right. We have the yeah. predisposition. So we're not neutral. Right. right. And I think this point, like in particular, shows why Calvinism is not like uniquely susceptible or uniquely like attacked by the problem sure. of evil in this strong way. Because 
if you're an Orthodox Christian at all, you believe that like God wrote the story so that like humanity fell. Like Adam and Eve, like it wasn't like plan B. God didn't, God wasn't surprised by Adam and Eve throwing humanity into chaos and falling from grace. This was like designed to be that way from the start. So if that's true, that's not just a Calvinist commitment. That's, you know, any Christian who wants to avoid like Pelagianism, which is just the view that like we through our own wills without grace can try to reach God. Like that view has been condemned through the history of the church by everyone. So it's not a uniquely Calvinist problem. Any view that says God knows the future and God knew about the fall and yet still created the world, um, like you have to acknowledge that like God God could have made the world differently, right. but he still decided to make this world with a fall and he had some purpose in that. Like what so, if he just said, I'm not gonna control people at all, I'm just gonna let them do whatever they want, uh, have the ability to do otherwise or whatever you wanna say. Mm-hmm. And then people just start killing each other. Well, he could have just not made the world. Right, exactly. You know, so so he still so you could still always push the problem back. Right. Go, well, you're responsible because right. you made the world. And so exactly. so what about a non-Calvinist view? Like, what would be an alternative? Yeah, so I mean, an alternative would just be something like an Arminian view, where you say that God knows the future, um, but God doesn't determine the actions of free creatures. And what is the problem with that? The problem there is that that doesn't get God off the hook. Right? It doesn't get off God off the hook because he still he knows that the Holocaust is going right. to be like Hitler's right. going to do. He knows all of these things, and yet he still decides to create this world. So yeah, so there's still so some response. Still, why did he yeah. write the story? So this is why, yeah. like, the options really are God knows the future or open theism. Right, like well, God, choose your own adventure. Choose your like. So so the the force of the problem of evil really is so strong that some Christian philosophers really are going towards open theism. And, They're saying what, and open theism would be? Just the view that God can't know our actions if they're truly free. Like what it he, is- So he doesn't know the future. He doesn't know the future. Right. He can like kind Have of like guesses. guess He's because He's fast, he, fast yeah, learner, yeah. Exactly. And there's like, there's some things that are like pretty predictable. Like I know you're not gonna go and like, you know- uh, Be careful. Uh, yeah, Be careful. I was like, what What example should I do? There, there are some things that Brian just won't do just well, because I know Very few. Yeah, you're not uh, gonna wake up and like offer to do the laundry for every single person in your apartment complex. That's true. Right? That's, so, that's very, you can, you can guarantee that, yeah. You don't need to be God to predict that. So, so yeah, like these open theists will say, God doesn't know what we're gonna do because what it is for an action to be free by a creature is that it can't be knowable. Right. There is nothing to know. Like you can't predict it with certainty. You might have some and good that, guesses. Now, does that actually, if that's true, does that get God off the hook? I mean, it might say like, remember, so remember when we're talking about the problem of evil, God is all knowing, God is all powerful, right. God is all good and evil. You can deny one of those three right. and alleviate and the problem of evil. And so they're saying that God's not all knowing. Right, yeah. Gotcha. Which would be an unorthodox Right, it is, it is a view, view that clashes against the historic view, which right. is why it's a minority view. But you can see that like, so this is the problem with like Arminians or Molinists. They're another view yeah. of like, you know, how to reconcile God's sovereignty and human free will. They they level this charge that Calvinism is like uniquely susceptible to like, or has a unique problem of God as the author of evil. And that's just not the case. Like any view that says God knows the future and yet doesn't prevent it from happening has to offer the same has to wrestle with that same kind of problem. It's not just the Calvinist. Even theory. if it's like, oh, his sovereignty is a general sovereignty. It's like, but still. If he knows the future, he know, yeah, he's still not changing it. it. Yeah. Right. So God knew about the Holocaust. He could have prevented it, and then he didn't. So yeah, it's just, it is just the problem this, of This evil. sort of like is, what did Churchill say? Like, 
democracy is the worst form of government. Yeah. Next to so did Plato. every other form of government. <laughs> like like basically it's it's yeah. this is a terrible idea, but it's the best terrible idea we have. It's like with Calvinism, it's like, well, it doesn't really <laughs> fix it, but it's the best of the terrible ways of fixing the problem of people yeah. that we have, maybe. Uh, or, or really not even Calvinism, but just this strong view of the sovereignty. Strong view of we sovereignty. think that the Bible is pointing towards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, you got to square with what Genesis, is it Genesis 50 where Joseph says what God, God yeah, or what God you meant, meant for, for good, evil, you meant God. for evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, well, I mean, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't say you meant it for evil and God tried to figure out how to spin it for good. Yeah. Yeah. There's two senses of the word meant. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's just a biblical witness and you have to look at it. And by, by no means do I think this wraps like a nice little bow over no. everything. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, this is probably not the podcast you want to send to somebody who just lost a loved one. This no, is not like, not. this is purely, we're being theoretical and abstract. And this is by no means what we would say to somebody who's actually <laughs> suffering. Yeah. You can view our last episode for what we yep. probably point mm-hmm. to, but uh, really important. And, and I think. You know, that that's something that sometimes that's the best way to think of theological problems. What's the alternative? Right. Okay. I don't know how this totally works out, but like, what's the other option? It yeah. doesn't actually solve the problem either. Yeah. So again, it's a problem for everyone and you're trying to find the best ideas that fit what we know scripture says, what fits with the teaching of the church throughout history mm-hmm. and uh, working with that. And look, you know, there's some humility involved of just like people who think about this for a long time. I yeah. don't think that means we should just throw our hands up and go, who cares? Well, it matters. You know, uh, just stay away from that open theism mojo. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I don't had a theology there. professor who once said, doing theology is about picking which consistencies you're okay with living with. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the open theists bite a bullet. They say, well, God just doesn't know the future. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think the bullets that you want to bite are going to be the bullets that are shown by scripture and you know attested to by the the historic christian witness there's going to be mystery yeah yeah you just want to have the mystery where the bible puts the mystery exactly which it sounds like putting it you know the apostle paul puts it in like i don't know how these things all work yeah you know but he does give an answer he says no god's not the author of evil we're still responsible like we're not gonna have a perfect doxology you know all the wisdom of god and who can judge him and who can his you know judgments are inscrutable all these things the end of romans 11. Mm -hmm. And that's where he leads, and that's probably where we should lead yeah. or leave it. Um, but great discussion. I, I heard, I'm going to give my own professor a quote. Where he, <laughs> one of our professors said, uh, only heretics sleep at night. Wow. You know, it's Orthodox Christians that stay up all night going, Jesus is man and God, united <laughs> in a personal union, but distinct and yet, you know, huh, unmixed. Yeah, you know, uh, God is three in one, one God in, eternally existed in three persons. Like, yeah. ah, like you if know, you've solved all the problems, it's almost like, right. yeah, if the thing that you're fully grasping, you, you're calling that God, then it's not actually God. And it's right? midnight right now, which means we're we're Orthodox theologians because we're up. We are up. We're up when all the heretics are at sleep. We're woke. Are sleeping. We we're are literally woke. woke. <laughs> Man, I love this. And we're back. We are back. Thank you guys for listening to this. Make sure you share this. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, give us some nice stars and a good review. And uh, we're grateful for you guys tuning in. We'll be back next week.